In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. My Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here, that you see me and that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I ask your pardon for my sins, for the grace to make this time a prayer fruitful. My Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me. Today the Church celebrates the great solemnity of the Epiphany, that scene in which the Magi, the wise men, the kings from the East come to seek out our Lord and find Him, find Him, of course, with our Blessed Mother Mary. When Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, we read in today's Gospel, In the days of King Herod, behold, Magi from the East arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star at its rising and have come to do him homage. Lord Jesus, in your presence, we ask you to help us to learn all the lessons we can from the scene from today's feast day. And one of the things we see in the Magi that we can ask for and imitate in our prayer and in our life is a great combination of humility and daring. Humility. They are wise men and they are important. They're perhaps kings. And they come to adore and to pay homage and bring gifts to another king and a king who appears in this humble form as a child. And daring. They're up for an adventure. We can imagine them in the middle of their journey asking themselves and asking each other, are we really doing this? Are we really following a star? What are we doing here? This is this is kind of crazy. And Lord Jesus, in our life of faith and our vocation or whatever particular vocation we may have, it's good for us at times to come to that conclusion as well. This is crazy. I really believe that Jesus is God, that Jesus died for my sins. Am I really following this star of God's plan for me, this obscure doctrine of the church that perhaps the world rejects or I myself don't understand too much? Am I really doing this? Because if we never, if we never get to the point where what we're doing seems a little bit crazy, a little bit radical, well, then are we really Christians? Are we really following our Lord? Our Lord says that we will be rejected by the world. That we shouldn't be surprised if the world doesn't understand us or the world rejects us as Christians. And so we too, like those magi, we should come to points in our life when we're like, this is kind of risky. This is kind of nuts. This is countercultural. This is a little bit against the grain of the times to live this way, to believe these things. And Lord, we ask you for a great love of adventure, the adventure of being a Christian in the world, a great sense of daring, a love of this risk, the risk of being a Christian, Lord, of following you. Help us to be up for this great adventure. Give us too, Lord, the humility of the Magi. They had the humility to change their plans. They changed their plans in their life when they realized that their study of the stars and of certain texts of prophecy pointed out 
that you were coming, that you would be there. And they had to decide, well, I'm going to change things. I'm going to go find this newborn king. They changed the plans also at the end of their journey. The star disappears. And as we know, they go and ask directions from, from Herod. They're flexible in their, in their plans. They're flexible in their judgment of things because they're humble. And as we know, it's kind of a stereotype, but there's something true about it, that men do not ask for directions easily. They'd rather get lost and not find some place than have to stop and ask for help, have to stop and ask for directions. So we see a great humility here in the Magi. They admit that they're lost. Their goal of finding the king, finding Jesus, is more important to them than their reputation as wise men. It's more important to them than their track record as being right. And this is this is rare in us because we love being right, because we rely on our own judgment, because we're attached to a reputation. Lord, if I need to change some direction in my life or to think a new way about something, if I need to admit I'm wrong in general or just more, Lord, help me to do that. Because I don't want to be wrong and think I'm right. Or I don't want to protect myself from looking foolish or looking like I don't know what I'm doing. If it's not going to lead me to you, help me, Lord, to admit my errors, to go through them, and to be humble enough to get back on track, to find the help and the truth that I need and where I need to find it. And this attitude, this combination of daring and humility, being up for changes, being up for adventures, really pays off for for the Magi. They find Jesus. After their audience with the king, they set out. And behold, the star that they had seen at its rising preceded them until it came and stopped over the place where the child was. They were overjoyed at seeing the star. And on entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother. They prostrated themselves and did him homage. Then they opened their treasures and offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed for their country by another way. The humility and the daring of the Magi pays off. They find and see. They find and they see. And what do they see? They see the mother, our mother, the mother of God, Mary, and the child, Jesus, the Son of God. And what are they seeing with their eyes? Well, a real woman, this is a historical figure, just a young girl, then a real baby. They find and they see a woman, the woman, and a child, the child. And seeing these ordinary things, what do they do? They adore, they pay him homage. How striking this is, what a striking contrast, what a striking scene. To see these kings, these wise men, these important men, these learned men, kneeling down in front of a simple girl and in front of her baby. The humility that they sense their own littleness compared to this king. They sense their own unworthiness, their own secondary status compared to this king who is just this child, just this baby. Of course, their actions are 
kind of incongruous with their own status and with the status of the people that they're seeing with their eyes. And so why are they adoring? Well, they're adoring because they believe that there's more there than meets the eye. They're adoring God. They're adoring what Jesus is beyond the appearances. They're moved by the Holy Spirit to pay him homage. And Lord, we too want to adore you this Christmas season. We want to adore you in the Blessed Sacrament. We want to adore you in our times of prayer. Oh, come let us adore him, Christ the Lord. The kings bring him gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And those gifts are symbolic. I just learned this a few years ago. You might have heard it already. I'm sorry if I'm belaboring some point that's already well known. But Origen, the great um, theologian, a great commentator on scripture, Origen interpreted these gifts as a kind of summary of Christology, a summary of the theology of Christ. Origen wrote, gold as to a king, myrrh as to one who is mortal, and incense as to a god. So the gift of gold is given in recognition of Christ's kingship, of his royalty. We give only the finest things to our king. Our king deserves the best that we have to give him. Myrrh, which was an ointment used in burial at the time, is given to him insofar as he is mortal, and specifically insofar as he's going to die for us. So myrrh reminds us, Lord Jesus, that you've come to give your life for us, to give yourself for us on the cross. Myrrh reminds us that Jesus' humanity was real and that his death for us was real. And frankincense, which is a form of incense, as the name tells us, is given to him in recognition of his divinity. We burn incense at the altar in adoration of God. And these are all three things that we need to keep coming back to, that Jesus is our king, and so he deserves our very best. He deserves our gold. And what does that mean? Well, gold has always been money, and, and that's part of it. If God is going to be worshipped with due reverence, with due dignity in churches, and he needs to be in the liturgy, we need to adore God with a certain dignity, with a certain pomp even, with beauty. Well, that takes money. Right? That, takes, that takes money. And so to donate to your parishes, to donate the church in different ways, and specifically for things that are earmarked for the church, the physical building of the church, and things of the liturgy, is important, right? We have to give gold to the king. But also to give gold to the king is to give him our very best. The best effort of our work, which we try to offer up day by day, hour by hour. The best effort in our prayer, trying to recollect ourselves to pray to do our prayer punctually, not to skip it, to give him the gold of our attention, the gold of our charity, trying to love him truly and others to grow 
and friendship or to grow as a father or mother or husband or wife, son or a daughter, an employee or a manager, all those roles in our life, they're roles in which God is expecting us to be a Christian, to be in a certain way, to offer him back our existence. But we want to offer him back our existence as best we can. We want to offer it as something precious, something valuable, as true gold. And then myrrh. What does it mean, Lord, to offer you myrrh, to recognize that you're mortal? Well, to match life with life or death with death. Jesus dying on the cross gives his entire existence to us, for us. And love is repaid with love, as St. Josemaria would quote a phrase from his, from his country. Love is repaid with love. So the only thing we can give back to match what Jesus has done for us, what God has done for us, is everything, is our life and also our death. To offer you myrrh, Lord, to recognize that you died for me and to try to respond to it, is especially to offer the things in our life that are connected with death, perhaps our death itself. For a Christian, death is not just something that happens to us, it's something that we can transform into an act of love. Obviously, biologically, it just happens to us. Certainly, says morally, it just happens to us. We don't choose to die in a, in a way that we do anything about it. That would be suicide. That's immoral. But given that we're sick, given that we're suffering, given even that we're dying, we can make it an act of love by accepting it, by seeing it as a way to trust, by seeing it as something to accept and offer to God. And this is precisely what Jesus does on the cross. This is precisely what Jesus does with his own death. He doesn't kill himself, but he takes what's being done to him, this unjust execution, this unjust chastisement, this unjust death, and he accepts it and wills it as an act of trust and love for his Father and as an act of love for us. To offer you myrrh, Lord, therefore, in my own life, could be to offer you all those things that have to do with my physical suffering, my physical or emotional ailments, things connected somehow with death or with what might feel like death, right? Sometimes health-wise, physically, we're not sick, but we could go through experiences that are very difficult to go through emotionally or psychologically, and they feel like a kind of death. Well, step back from that and say, God is giving this to me for some reason, at least it's an opportunity to accept it out of love for him, to offer my suffering back to him who suffered for me physically and also psychologically and morally and spiritually. Lord, to offer you my sufferings is to show up like these kings with myrrh. And then incense, to offer incense, to recognize Jesus Christ, your divinity, to recognize the divinity of God. Do I have enough time, Lord, in my heart, enough room in my heart, space in my prayer for adoration? Am I an adorer? Do I adore you, Lord God, wherever you are, wherever I find you? Gold as to a king, myrrh as to one who is mortal, and incense as to a god. These gifts of the Magi would show us 
the nature of Christ, king, man, mortal, and yet divine. It's interesting to note that up to this point in the gospel, in the description of Christmas in the days after Christmas, there are no physical gifts or no material gifts present until the Magi show up some days later. I can't remember if I've told this anecdote or used this example in a previous Christmas meditation from last year. But this always reminds me of um, of something that we did at Christmas in our home. I grew up in a family of six brothers and sisters. And when most of us were teenagers, we had this secret system for evaluating Christmas gifts on Christmas Day. So our relatives would come over, aunts and uncles, and our grandparents. And in spite of the, the relatively high number of us, they all had some gift for each one of us. And so there'd be a time when we opened the gifts and everyone exchanged gifts. And when one of us would open a gift among, among the brothers and sisters, we would communicate to each other how much we liked it or not by a kind of secret code. And the code was how many times we would clap our hands when we opened that gift. And so something like, you know, five rapid claps in succession was a sign that we really liked what we got. And then two claps was like the lowest. So it'd be like you'd open it and it'd be like, oh, a pair of socks. And that would be a sign to everyone that you really didn't appreciate getting socks from grandma. Or, oh, the latest album from my favorite band. Right, that kind of quick succession of multiple claps was a sign that you ranked that uh, that gift kind of high. Looking back, I realized this wasn't very charitable of us. It was also a little bit materialistic. But we thought it was funny. I insist that my sister Angela came up with the idea, but she pins it on me. I, uh, she's probably right, but I'm not sure. But before the, before the Magi show up, there are no gifts. The gift is Jesus himself. The gift is the gift of God himself. And the gifts of God are always those five clap gifts. God loves us. God wants what's truly good for us. And God proves this to us at Christmas, in this Christmas season. God gives us gold. He gives us the best thing he has. He gives us his beloved son. God the Father shares with us his most precious possession. And the gift of Jesus comes with countless gifts. St. Paul says it, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, will he not also give us all things with him? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, will he not also give us all things with him? And obviously we need to read scripture spiritually. This doesn't mean we're going to get the house we want or the car we want or the promotion we want. But we'll get all things from God that we truly need for our spiritual edification, for eternal happiness, for the kind of happiness that God wants us to have on this earth. The gift of Jesus, the gift that is God, Jesus puts it, if you knew the gift of God, comes with so many gifts. And Lord, 
on this day when we contemplate the Magi bringing you these gifts which are so rich in meaning. Help us to reflect, too, on all the gifts you give us in Christ, the forgiveness of our sins, adoption as God's children to those who believed in his name, he gave power to become children of God. The grace to be happy forever in heaven, he who believes in me shall never die. Charity with each other, forgiveness of others, service to others, patience, forbearance. The Christian life, if we open ourselves to its grace and try our best to put into practice the gifts and the virtues, the counsels we see there, so enriching for our personality, so ennobling, right? it takes us out of that, that constant concern for ourself. It takes us out of that slavery to sin or the slavery to our emotional state or our, our moods. But it literally ennobles and lifts up the soul to a higher state of existence in which we can think about God more. We can love God directly. We relativize and and kind of master and dominate our physical needs, our emotional needs, and we become more stable and more loving. We can put up with things more. We don't need as much pleasure or as much entertainment. It's a higher mode of existing that God gives us in Christ. Obviously, we have to work on it. We have to accept these gifts with the use of the means, the sacraments, prayer, spiritual direction. But all these things come to us with the gift of Christ. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, will he not also give us all things with him? And so, Lord, as we approach you today with the Magi, and as we offer, along with them, our own versions of gold, giving you the best, and frankincense, worshiping you, and myrrh, offering you our limitations, our frailties, emotional and physical. Help us at the same time, Lord, to be open to receiving the gifts that you give us, which are always so much greater than the gifts that we that we give to you. And Lord, the gifts that you give to us are gifts that we're meant to give away, that we're meant to process, to make our own, and then to share them with others. This is also part of the great meaning of the epiphany that the revelation of Christ for the first time is open to all men. The Magi are not Jews. They're not members of the, of the holy people. And so this is why it's called the epiphany, right? The revelation of Christ to the nations, to the whole world, his universal status as Redeemer is symbolized and begins in these three men, these three foreigners, these visitors from the East. And so this is a reminder for us that that the gift of Christ in my life, the gift of my faith, the gift of the sacraments, the gift of this ennobling dimension of Christianity, the gift of having more meaning in my life, the gift of knowing what to do with suffering, how to suffer with dignity and love, is a gift that I'm meant to share, is a gift that I'm meant to pass on to others. The church is one holy, Catholic, and apostolic. To be an apostle is to be sent out. 
And the Feast of the Epiphany is a great reminder of this mission, that we're meant to be a revelation to the nations as Christians. The church is called the universal sacrament of salvation in Vatican Council II. That the church, which means you and I, with all our limitations, are a sign and a means of salvation, a physical sign and a physical means of the grace of salvation. Obviously, it's not one of the seven sacraments, but it's similar. A universal and efficacious sign of salvation. Which means, Lord, that I can't hide my faith like the Magi. I have to let people know what I'm up to. We're looking for this king. They show up and they say to Herod and they're not afraid of what he thinks or what he might do. Where is he who is to be born king of the Jews? They're upfront and public about their searching for Christ. And we too have to be upfront and public about our faith. Otherwise, it won't spread. Obviously, we do this in a discreet way. We do this in a way that people find attractive. We do this um, with a normal bearing and a normal Christian life. We're just like everyone else. But at the same time, we can't be afraid to let people know what we believe and what makes us tick and that we care about them and we care about their souls. We care about their happiness. To do otherwise would be a, a great act of cowardice or a great act of uh, religious indifference or a great lack of charity for others. Lord, help me not to hide. Help me not to hide my lamp under a bushel. And Lord, you are the light of the world. You light the lamp that you want me to hold up to the world with my friendship, with my example, and also with my apostolate of, of doctrine, letting people know what I believe and what it means to me. They were overjoyed at seeing the star and on entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother. They prostrated themselves and did him homage. Mary, our mother, mother of Jesus, help us, help us, help us to do the same thing, to enter the house of God the house of God, which is the church, the house of God, which is my own soul, where God dwells. And to see the child there and to see you holding him and to prostrate ourselves, to make you and him much more important in my life than you have been up to this point. Help me to think about you, Mary, and him, Jesus, more. Help me to do, my lady, more things for you and with you for your son and with your son. Help me to bring those gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh, the gift of my money, the gift of my work, the gift of my suffering, the gift of my adoration. Because what I give to God is nothing in comparison to the gift that he gives us back, which is the gift of himself and also the gift of you, his mother. Mary, our mother, pray for us. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations which you have communicated to me in this meditation. I ask your help to put them into effect, my Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my guardian angel, intercede for me.